0: And welcome to another episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Jo Ritty and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Traditional custodians of the lands and airwaves where this conversation takes place. Land which was never ceded. Land where communities came together to eat seasonally, locally and without exhausting resources. I pay my respects to the elders past, present and rising. Today I'm talking to Gabriel Gatti. I cannot tell you how excited I was to meet Gabriel and talk to him, although I'm sure you can imagine. Before we talked, I imagined the conversation would be about cooking, food and being a chef. And it was. But we also talked about life and the things that are important. When I told people that I was going to talk to Gabriel, the universal reaction was, ah, Gabriel Gatti, what a lovely man. Everyone has heard of Gabriel. They know him as a chef with an international reputation as a cookery author, a television presenter, and a cookery teacher. And they also know him as a gentleman who is genuinely interested in others and in the goodness he can share through food. I first met Gabriel at the celebration evening for the Australian team returning from the Bocuse d'Or competition that took place in Lyon this January. Gabriel is on the Bocuse d'Or committee, and he's a fierce and proud advocate for the industry. And hospitality needs more people like him. We sat down to chat for the podcast at Via Verona in Q. Gabriel gave me a copy of his book, So French, So Sweet, and I think I'll always be on dessert duty at any gathering from now on. We chatted in French for a while, which of course I loved, before getting straight to the heart of things.
1: On commence? Tout à fait.
0: <laughs> Bonjour, Gabrielle. Thank you for meeting me today.
1: It's a pleasure. It's nice to, um, to speak about, uh, about life.
0: About life, that's right. it's yeah. food, food is life in so many ways. We often say that, but I Completely. think yeah. the,
1: the role of a chef and a home cook is to nourish. Exactly right. To nourish in a, a, the, the home cook nourishes the family. Yeah. That's the role of a home cook you uh, you cook for the family and the family's uh, members are in charge of of eating that works for kids too that's the role of parents the, the role of parents is not to spoon feed kids it is to um, to cook for them uh, food that, that nourish balance food and things like that after that it is the other person that takes the decision um, the chef there's, a dimension of the chef needs to do something that is um, enticing because uh, the client is paying. It needs to be something a bit more special. Sometimes it can be um, very creative, sometimes it can be very classic. That's the choice of the, of the chef. Sometimes it's the choice of the clients to choose a place to um, but at the end we nourish that means that um, I work with a chef that said um, uh, we don't want our clients to feel sick when they leave the restaurant and that can happen yeah that the food was too rich. too rich too many courses in a menu set menu um, too many courses each individually that don't work together as a group and things like that so that's really uh, the responsibility of the of the cook, uh, the chef, to um, to serve food that is, um, that is balanced within a menu.
0: Mm. And it's interesting because in thinking about talking to you, um, I feel as though you've obviously spoken to many people, journalists, um, writers over the years. Yes, yes, that's it, yeah. And I was thinking, so, you know, um, been this been whole been idea of nourishing, up. I'm glad that you said that because... I was thinking about how nowadays there's so much um, focus on fancy food, so MasterChef and um, and some of these top no, restaurants no, where people are spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on food, and, I, and we talked about this a little bit when I first spoke to you, but just the gap between um, that sort of food security gap between people who can't afford that or don't have the knowledge on how to use simple ingredients to cook nutritional food... Yeah. What, so, how do you, how do we work within that?
1: Well, uh, the reality is that uh, years ago, um, parents taught their kids to uh, become independent yes. by teaching them the art of cooking family food. Mm. That's where it starts. Yeah, you have got to have uh, parents that share what they know, even if they don't know a lot. Mm. They need to share okay. to their kids. Uh, the role of parents is to give independence to their kids as early as possible in their life. Yes. If you can't cook and you are forty, you are not independent. Mm. so, you know, so by the age of uh, by the age of teen, you know, you, when you are a teenager, you should be able to be able to cook uh, pasta and make a salad dressing and make a salad for yourself. You know, a number of sandwiches, uh, steam vegetables, make an omelette. You know. Friday, uh, you know a number of preparation because at the end it's like a puzzle uh, and uh, there's lots of pieces in the puzzle the more pieces you c- the bigger the puzzle the better the chef you are but you become uh, you want to instill the love of cooking early because if you have not done any cooking with your parents until uh, you, know, uh, you know by the time you leave it's going to be much harder for you to uh, to embrace cooking. Some do, some do. I in mean, a big way, because they missed it and they, it it suits them. But those that the people will find all kind of excuse for not to cook, for yeah. not cooking.
0: Yeah. Do you think it's
1: a thing that's happened?
0: When did it start? I wonder whether this idea of um, you know fast food or ready-made meals, because our lives have become so busy, especially in cities, or we think our lives are so busy,
1: yeah.
0: that there is there are generations where yeah, that they've lost that art of. Maybe their parents did try and teach them to cook, or. Give them that idea of food, but but they've now grown up and, and ha- don't have that themselves because yeah. of busy lives, etc. And all of the um, the pre-made meals and all of those things, so people have kind of lost that interest maybe in cooking. And it, it, oh. yeah,
1: people are, are time poor, yes. so that's the excuse that people give yeah. uh, because they're doing something else. But I mean, if, if we all spend as much time cooking as we do on our phone, it's <laughs> right so true that's right no that so basically it's a choice it's a choice of uh, it's always a choice it's a a choice but um i am very very strong uh, with the idea of encouraging you know like toddlers two three four five six year old because at that age they want to help in the kitchen yes but you have got to be very tolerant Yeah. you have got to be very encouraging so if they make a mess it doesn't matter Mm. it doesn't matter as long as you instill the love of manipulating food the result is wonderful you know you can see a little kid that uh, cut a biscuit or put some apple slices on a a pastry to be cooked as a tart they they love it they look in the oven They see things happening and they want to taste it. And then this is a really good beginning because there's really two kinds of people at the end. Those that can look after themselves in the kitchen and those that rely on on other people to cook for them. If you cook for yourself, you have got more chance to be healthy in your life. You are going to make better choices at the restaurant. You are going to be able to cook spending less money you are not going to feel that you have got to go to those top restaurants and spend not $200 to have a good meal. You will be able to recognize a little restaurant in the corner, not far from you, that does some really lovely Asian food or a dish for $25 instead of $56, which has become the price of so many restaurants now for a special main course. So basically, the more you are equipped, from an early age, the more you are fluent. It's exactly like a language. You are a wonderful linguist, and you know that with practice, it is no effort to speak. At the beginning, it's hard. Stumble. If you are shy, it's even harder. If you are not shy, it's easier, and you become fluent. So cooking, it starts with a few ingredients. It's like a few words, you know, bonjour, Je m'appelle Gabriel, this is a small salad dressing or it's just a, some smashed avocado with, uh, with a seasoning and you are very proud to do that on top of toast, you think you are very clever, <laughs> okay, and then uh, you, the next stage is a little phrase, you know, and that can be um, a salad dressing with you know, some uh, hard boiled egg, a bit of tuna and some olives and some rocket. And you say, this is delicious, this is interesting. And then after that, it is more like a, a risotto. And then after that, you, each time you cook, you learn something different. Each time you learn your new dish. So I have a, a technique to teach cooking where I tell people you have got to learn to cook new dishes regularly. I suggest to my students to cook uh, or to the people i talk to like you to cook a new dish every month something that appeals to you something that you might have a little knowledge about it or something you say oh i would like to learn to make a, let's make it a cocoa vin okay a, a chicken casserole cooked in in red wine for win, a winter dish uh, so you you get a recipe you allow plenty of time the first time and you follow the recipe the first time. Uh, This is the recipe you are learning uh, this month, okay? And you practice, you cook the dish, and you practice that dish three or four times within the next month in order for you to master it lots of people cook new dishes and they say oh no that was not nice it was overcooked it was undercooked my family didn't like it there's all kind of excuses and they never do it again mm, yeah. no you need to commit yourself to dishes and you cook it, cook them several times so you master them that becomes a dish in your repertoire if you do people say well, one dish a month is not a lot it is to start with it is 12 new dishes a year, okay? mm. after 10 years, it's 120 dishes. <laughs> You've got to look at it like that. That's right. If you start when you are 18, 19, 20 to do that, by the time of 30, you, cook, you know how to cook 100 different dishes. If you know how to cook 120 dishes, you know how to cook 300 dishes. Because mm. that told that you don't to make this mushroom and peas, become a risotto with chicken and asparagus mm. without any effort so basically you learn to become fluent by practicing particular types of cooking using different ingredients different techniques different seasoning
0: I think that's a, a really lovely way to look at it, I wonder sometimes though, if if I'm just following a recipe and it's a new recipe for koko vang or whatever it is, and and then I master that, but I'm I'm a bit tied into that recipe because I haven't really understood what the raw ingredients, how I might... You know, how do I know what I've done wrong if it doesn't work out? So I feel like chefs have that knowledge of really understanding raw ingredients and then they can go exponentially in their repertoire, whereas home cooks don't have that.
1: Well, I think you underestimate (laughs) that you are cooking uh, at least once a day 50,000 meals or plus in your life. So there's plenty of room for practice, Mm. plenty of room. No, that dish that I suggested, let's make it a risotto to make it simpler. Yeah. The first time, I can tell you, mostly it's not going to be wonderful. No. Okay. You might overcook it, undercook it. You might get it right, which is wonderful, very encouraging. You will get it right if you have got a bit more experience. So each time you cook, your memory will keep some information about what you have done. This is what the chefs are. You're not a chef. The chef will cook it 20 times in the same evening. You are cooking it once. That's why I suggest that next week, you, you do that risotto again. Mm. And this time, you say, I'm going to cook it for a few more minutes. And my family didn't like, uh, or, or they would have liked more mushrooms. I'm adding more mushrooms. Mm-hmm. So you adapt it to your family taste and to your taste. The third time, you refine it. You know, you mm-hmm. say, we put too much parmesan. It was lovely, but it was too rich, okay? We don't need to put so much butter. I will put more peas. So you adapt it to your family. And that memory, it, it's all about memory. That's why I'm asking people to do the same dish several times, so this is in your, in your head. As a young cook, it's all, you're all over the place. That's why as a young cook, you might not start with that risotto. It's too overwhelming, you have no idea. You start with that salad dressing, you start with the omelette, you start with the fried egg on toast, you start with noodles and three ingredients over it with a bit of sauces, Just, just so you become familiar with the time of cooking noodles or pasta, things like that. So you have got to learn something that is at your level and when you have 10 years of cooking, that's already lots of meals. Especially later in your life, many people have families or, or a partner. So suddenly you're not just cooking for yourself, you might be cooking for other people. So it is lots of experience.
0: And you know, Just listening to you, I was thinking, you know, you made a decision to become a chef. Um, but I feel as though whenever I'm in France, the families that I that I know, my friends in France, they all love food and they all talk about food all the time and there are there are ways of doing things, you know, as a New Zealander living in France for a year, I had to always sit back and watch everyone, you know, when their new asparagus came into season, yeah. they didn't get a knife and fork and yeah. cut it up, they would get the plate, tip it up on the top of a fork or something, make a vinaigrette down the bottom yeah. of the plate and they'd dip each spear in and eat it that way. I feel like French, <laughs> French people, a big generalization, have this innate knowledge and in love of food and seasonality.
1: Yeah.
0: Is that still the same?
1: Uh, it is changing a bit because yeah. of the Americanization. You know, like the American influence is enormous, uh, the, the fast food and all of that. Maybe we should not call it American, but it certainly started there there's certainly a different kind of attitude. It is, in my mind, you know, by looking at what I've seen in Australia all those years and often in Anglo-Saxon countries, uh, those countries are very good at making fussy eaters, yes. at creating fussy eaters. Um, with children, seriously, as a young parents, you don't really, you, you cook for them, as I said, and you put the food in their plates or in the middle of the table, you don't force them to eat. Mm. But you don't ask them, darling, what do you want me to cook? You decide. Mm. You are responsible at that time, when they are very little for their health. Mm. So French, French kids are not as fussy yeah. as or they were not. I think that <laughs> many are not still, but it's still, it, it is changing a bit. Because we give too much choice to yeah. kids too yes. early in terms of food,
0: yes.
1: it's, it's a bit like, you tell your kids you know uh, do you want to be vaccinated uh, when they are three or four or, mm. no? do you want to take your medication mm. do you want to go to school <laughs> no? do you want to dress this morning yeah yeah no. you, you you guide them you help them to, to take the responsibility of that yeah. and with food um, you have got to instill the joys of eating a wide variety of food there's no doubt that little kids, generally speaking, are not that fond of vegetables and things like that. But you introduce the same vegetables in different forms. I, I know, for example, our elder son um, didn't like uh, cooked carrots, but he loved grated carrots. Or we would chop carrots and make a bolognese sauce, and he loved it in it. So it was not so much, it was just something that he had that he had to accept you don't force it, but little by little. The, the reality is that most adults, not all, love most foods. So, but that period, in terms of health, the experts will tell you that the, the quicker you learn to love vegetables, the healthier you are going to be longer.
0: Yeah. Well, think. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. yeah. And we mentioned koko van before and i was interested when i was thinking about you know talking to you so you um so you grew up in the loire yeah uh, and um and i read that your mother and your grandmother were were great cooks my so
1: grandmother was a very very good cook
0: yeah, yeah. and so how do you go from was, two parts to my question because obviously my head is racing ahead. The two parts are how do you make a decision to go from being a French person who loves food and is a good cook to actually deciding to become a chef. But I also wondered why French dishes like coq au vin, boeuf bourguignon, soup um, why are they perennial, perennially a, fa- a favorite? Why do they yeah. continue to be dishes that people love to go to? But that's two quite yes, separate yes.
1: questions. <laughs> well, to answer the first one, yes. um, we, uh, we grew all of our vegetables. Mm. Uh, my father was a good gardener. Most people in the country, like I came from a rural section, most people at their... Vegetable gardens, Mm. but they didn't just grow three bunches of carrots. You grew 20 kilos, 30 kilos, 40 kilos of carrots, 50 kilos of potatoes um, Enough for the family of eight. We didn't buy Vegetable sometimes we bought some fruits like oranges and bananas because we didn't have them otherwise We grew all the vegetables. We had chicken. So that was a, a good beginning My grandmother was actually uh, a cook, a professional cook in a private family during her youth. So she was a good cook, a good family cook, a bit more than a good family cook, a good bourgeois cook, you could say. She knew how to make classics. She knew if something came, you know, if someone brought us a a, a hare or a wild rabbit, she knew what to do without following a recipe. That's what happens after a while. to to people so they instilled my parents uh, the joy of eating good food you know the joy of sitting at the table and sharing a meal and I became a cook Uh, my my grandmother also was handicapped in the legs so we helped her to uh, to carry some of the food she could not carry a a big pot of water so we did that for her we helped her and we contributed to the preparation of the, the food like most families kids help you know, getting some parsley uh, peeling the potatoes shelling the peas. that's what you ask your kids mm. at the beginning mm. help me shell the peas." and you are fun together you are nice with them you have a chat when you do that um, and i thought cooking was fun and i didn't really become a cook really because i love cooking uh, although i did i became a cook because i love eating yeah okay. and i think i think that's the most important thing to love eating good food, and you say oh, I enjoy eating good food, I, I, I've got to learn to do it. So then you become, because the love of cooking becomes a bit more when you, you can actually cook. Of course you can, because when you're a young chef, I can tell you it's, it's hard work. And it's only when you are, it's like a linguist, it's only when you are fluent that you say, oh gosh, that was worth it, really, it was so good. You know, I know I had to learn that vocab. With cooking, it's the same. I've got to repeat the same movement. So that is it. Now, in terms of your second question with um, uh, France,
0: um, French cuisine,
1: the way we know it, uh, there's always been an evolution, but it's, uh, it started with very much as regional food because there was no transport. So each region had many specialities. The coq au vin was mainly in Burgundy, Mm. Uh, the bourguignon, because there is wine, because the climate is good for chicken, you know, it's not too hot, it's not too cold, there's plenty of water, there's plenty of green grass and things like that. Uh, You go to Marseille, it's the bouillabaisse, it's the fish soup. You go to Alsace, it's the cabbage dishes with charcuterie. You go to Brittany; it is the seafood. So this is how those classics started several hundred years ago. Sometimes in families, sometimes in the kitchen of the noble people, the king's, you know, the king's uh, chefs were the best of the time. And when uh, the, the kings disappeared all those top chefs went open restaurants you know like there, there was a moment where there was no fine restaurants in France you know like we are talking 300 years ago you there were places you stopped to eat if you were traveling and maybe you, you drunk and you had a bowl of soup or things like that but it was not refined it only became refined at a certain stage where people were becoming more sophisticated and uh, and then top chefs trained younger chefs and, and so on
0: and I so so I did a, a, a PhD in medieval French literature and yeah. one of the things that does not help the world at all, but anyway. No, but it, it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> and one of the things in my reading, which had nothing to do with my thesis topic, was that um, I was a bit fascinated by the fact that the no the noble people ate cold, because by the time they'd done all the oh, yes, a beautiful, yeah, yeah. like, you know, yes, yes. sparrow inside a pigeon inside a swan. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that the... The peasants or the servants yes, yeah. always ate hot food because it was all simmering over the stove, and so they had all the delicious stews and the vegetables. And Completely. The,
1: yeah. It was a one-pot dinner. Uh, People at the, the fireplace. The fire was there. There yeah. was always one pot with some liquid and some vegetables, some uh, piece of pork, uh, some beans, you know, something. So it was. Um, it was not a six-course meal. Yeah, no,
0: no, that's uh, right. But just. The, the noble people, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: the noble people, there were variations with the king, some, uh, you know, like with uh, the 14th was extremely extravagant, but he didn't have, uh, you know, he um, he was not cooking, the the one replacing him was uh, enjoyed cooking and he, he stopped at some stage having those big banquets and he would cook himself with half yeah. you know, uh, a dozen people that enjoy cooking too and they would have oh, dinners for for 10 or 12. So. It depends on, the, on on the kings. It depends on their lifestyle, their private life. You yeah. know, some of them were were they're glutton. You know, like they, they they ate so much. You know, you you look yeah. at the what they used to eat was so extravagant. Yeah, amazing. So I
0: think from listening to you talk and you know you've um, got these beautiful cookbooks here, a dessert book and then also, it's interesting that you did bring uh, Anyone Can Cook, your children's story and cookbook. It feels to me how many books have you written?
1: 24. 24. Yeah. over. I started in uh, my first book was published in 1981. Wow. So that is 42 years ago.
0: Yeah.
1: So, you know, like over over that time, because I was freelancing uh, working on, on new recipes Yeah was a very positive way of, of spending the time between the jobs because when you freelance it's not always you don't work all the time no. uh, you get interesting job they last for a while or, and so I decided that if I wrote cookbooks um, first it continues to for me to become a better chef to do some research it's like it's like being a student yeah. and then uh, and then whether the book If the book is successful, then you get some income later on. Mm. If not, you still have learned something and rather than... Lots of freelancers, they are depressed between jobs.
0: Yes.
1: And they spend their money. (laughs) (laughs) But they don't have. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: right. I was going to say, so you've put out all these cookbooks. You've you've obviously been on TV, which I I probably missed out on because I was in New Zealand when when you were doing that. But everyone knows your name. But I feel as though... So you said you you started to be a chef because you loved to eat, but I feel as though, and from what you've been talking about today, you have a genuine interest in helping other people and sharing your knowledge and um, and nourishing people through information as much as food. Yeah. And I, I'm making a statement, not asking a question, am I? But you know, and I saw you at the Doh uh, evening, so you've, you've become a real advocate for the industry and for food. Is that? Is that your focus now? Is this the sharing of knowledge and yeah, encouraging
1: yes. others? I think that um, we we all had uh, some mentors. We all had people that in our life we admire, and we we say, "Oh, that person is you know is positive, or that person is dedicated or passionate, and things like that." And there's a moment um, in your life where you are young chefs, you you work hard to. To get some kind of uh, to go somewhere, you know. Like a young teacher said, "No, I like to be head of or so I like to write a book, uh, you know, uh, on this or that, or do a PhD on this." Um, so you do that, and, and then suddenly you have a family. Not everybody, but that was my case. You know, with children, so you try to juggle with uh, family and uh, work and lifestyle and things like that and then um, then the kids grow and you know and, and then you starting to get ahead maybe uh, with with your family life with your financial life and then there's a moment where you say well i'm not chasing money anymore i am not chasing um you know like um, to, fame or whatever you chase Um, and so when you have the opportunity to share what you know with other people um, it's good it's good it's a good feeling it's a good feeling
0: thank you and thank you so much for talking to me today (laughs) i feel very honored and i've um, given me so much thank you pleasure Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Conversation with a Chef with Gabriel Gatte. You can check out all the goodness on Instagram at Gabriel underscore Gatte, that's G-A-B-R-I-E-L underscore G-A-T-E, and on his website, www.gabrielgatte.com If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more stories from other chefs, I'm on Instagram at Conversation with a Chef. You can read the chat at www.conversationwithachef.com. And I would love it if you told a friend about my chats. You can, of course, follow me on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Once again, thanks so much for listening and have a great day.